Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, witnessing the badger. Tobias brings the case against his wife, Rachel. Rachel catches and rescues animals in distress. Tobias would like her to stop. She thinks it's important to be compassionate. But Tobias is concerned about the risks involved now that they have a baby. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom and presents an obscure cultural reference. Everybody was asleep. Everybody except me, John Hodgman, creeping sore and exhausted towards another hard spell of labor. Why the hell had I ever decided to become a country podcaster? I must have been crazy to pick a job where you worked seven days a week and through the night as well. Sometimes I felt as though the practice was a malignant living entity, testing me, trying me out, putting the pressure on more and more just to see at what point I would drop down dead. Bailiff Jesse Thorne, swear them in. Please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite his inherent bias as a man who is one-quarter badger? (laughs) I do. I do. On his mother's side, I believe. (laughs) Judge Hodgman? Uh, I can confirm on my mother's side, one-quarter badger. Uh, (laughs) The times were different then. (laughs) That's that's Philadelphia for you. (laughs) Tobias and Rachel, you may be seated. By the way, uh, Happy New Year uh, to you and y'all. We probably have had some some episodes airing since the new year happened, but this is our first episode we've recorded in the new year. By the time you've heard this, we've had, I think, probably a knockdown, drag out, wonderful performance at the Curran Theater at San Francisco Sketchfest. Wasn't that slash won't that be fun, Jesse? Yes, it was and will be. So it's true, though, Jesse, right? What I just said in the obscure cultural reference that podcasting, it is a seven days a week job often working through the night. For you, it is. It certainly is for me, and I'm an urban podcaster. I can only imagine what it would be like to be the only podcaster in my community and have everyone depending on me. Yeah, I have to get into the old car and drive around from farm to farm to give them a podcast. Pack my podcasting uh, uh, Gladstone bag. I think Jesse has a guess as to what the cultural reference is, but for an immediate summary judgment in one of yours favors, Tobias or Rachel... You can both guess now. And by the way, thank you for all of your emails about uh, that time that guy guessed the Ferris Bueller quote, and I just freaked out and gave it to him, and I didn't give his counterpart the chance to guess as well, because if she had guessed correctly, we could have called it a tie. Both of you will get a chance to guess before I reveal the answer. And Rachel, you have been brought into this court against your will by your husband, Tobias, so you will get to guess first, if you wish, or you can make Tobias guess first. Which shall it be? Uh, I'll take a guess. Yes, I love it when they guess first. <laughs> uh, is that just some John Hodgman wisdom? John Hodgman direct quote? Just. <laughs> I'm just writing it down here on my pad at Argo Studios in New York City, where Paul Ruest is operating the knobs and dials as always. Just some good old J. H. Wiz. All right. I wrote it down. It's entered into the guest book. I am not revealing whether that is correct. That could be correct. That could be false. Tobias, what is your guess? I'm fairly certain I've read that. Mm-hmm. And the only book I've read 
That could possibly <laughs> be from. Yeah, the only, yeah. No, no, no. Was it uh, the Bible? You're right. No, it's of mice and men. It's got to be of mice and men. Of mice and men. There is an animal reference in that one. Of mice and men, of course, it's got mice in the title. Yeah. And as well, uh, don't spoiler alert, some puppies get killed, which is part of your issue with your wife. She's bringing in hurt puppies. She keeps crushing puppies in her <laughs> hands because she doesn't know her own strength. Yeah, I was going to say, instead of killing them like you'd like to do, you big brute. She's trying to make them better. I've entered that in. Let me review my Argo Studios notepad. And I'm going to tell you, all guesses are wrong. Ah. Judge Hodgman, I know this one. Do you, Jesse? Yeah. Go for is it. it. Is it James Harriet from All Creatures Great and Small? Why, yes, ding, 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 ding. That is the you got it right, and it's fine, because we can still have the podcast bell. <laughs> well done, Jesse. How could I not have recognized it? The television version of that is the world's greatest pants show. Ha! Ha, 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 Oh, the pants are so amazing. Let me tell you something. That right there is the first honest laugh to emerge from my gut in 2017. <laughs> That was the first good belly laugh that I've had. (laughs) Yeah, it's true, you guys. It's from All Creatures Great and Small by James Harriet. Now, this was a memoir of a country veterinarian in uh, in England that got turned into, I would say, almost the archetypal sort of, I mean, literally tweedy British TV show on public television here. It may have been Masterpiece Theater. I don't remember if it exactly was. And I read these books as a kid because uh, they're wonderful books. And uh, and I had gotten into them because my mom liked them a lot and liked the TV show a lot. And I liked my mom a lot. And I associate the, the show with my mom, uh, who is no longer living, because as we learn the hard way from all creatures great and small, not all creatures can be saved. Rachel believes they can be saved. <laughs> not, not a single mouse or, nor sparrow shall die on her watch. Is that not the case, Rachel? Uh, I think you can do your best. Um, <laughs> Are you talking, is that a challenge I'm, to me? Uh, <laughs> I'm not a You can God. do your best to try to kill a mouse around me. <laughs> Tobias, you brought... Now, Rachel is your wife, correct? Yes. All right. And you've brought her to my court because she is taking in wounded and sick animals into your house. Is that correct? Yes. You, now, you may elaborate. Oh, okay. Well, yes. Okay, she, uh, good. We did it. Good elaboration there, <laughs> Tobias. Let me help you. What kind of animals does she bring home? She brings uh, all sorts home. Uh, a mouse, most recently. Uh, cats. Very frequently. Cats very frequently? Very frequently. Where do you live? We live in Garland, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. Cat wounding capital of the United States. (laughs) When you say very frequently, how frequently, Rachel, are you bringing in a cat that's been hurt? It's not frequently at all, for one thing. It's maybe once or twice a year. This is, we're recording on the fourth day of... 2017, how many dozens of cats have you brought into the house and nursed back to health so far this year? Zero for 2017. How many? All right, so that's zero for 2017. How many cats 
did you bring into your home and nurse back to health or not in 2016, would you say? One. One. And 2015? One. One. Okay. Do you you keep records before 2015? Uh, I don't. I don't really. Uh, before 2015, I think that there was one cat that someone else found and we fostered for a little bit. That counts. Okay. So about one per, one cat per year. One cat a year, yeah. So and bad. I would take care with your record keeping because you don't want to have to deal with a found cat audit from the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what you want to do is you want to keep your found cat records for five years back. <laughs> And you want to keep a hard copy, and you want to keep you, you want to make a digital copy, but you have to keep it off-site in case oh, there's okay. a fire. <laughs> Moving on now, in, in addition to these uh, one cats per year, what else are you taking in, Rachel? The only other thing that I've brought into our home was the mouse. In life, or in the or in your five-year found animal record. <laughs> in the five-year found animal record. Um, we have found dogs um, near my mom's house before, and we'll bring them there. That's not my house. Okay. Dogs go to mom's house. And we've found birds in the past that we have not kept at home. We've taken them straight to a wildlife center. So, Tobias, I got three cats over three years, one mouse. We'll get back to that mouse in a second because I have a problem with mice. A couple of dogs went to mom's house. A couple of birds went to the wildlife center. Why is this a problem? I get concerned uh, about wild animals, or at least animals that that we don't know a history on coming into the house that is a clean place and is a safe place. Um, and I don't like uh, not knowing about the things that are inside of my house. Um, and and. When an animal comes, you seem to the like house, a lot of fun, Tobias. I know. I'm sorry. I'm a horrible person. I'm, I'm, no. I'm, well, hold on. I'm. Hold on. The, I'll tell you why I'm. Here, horrible. Here's why. Well, yeah. Exactly. Exactly why. Uh, I have a one year old now, and I've grown to oh, become hooray. a human monster weird dad. Uh, oh no way, Tobias! No, uh, in no, the no, long no. line of weird no, human monster dads no, that have been on this no, show. No, I'll have ordered. No way a parent of a, this is your only child so far? Yeah. And if you're lucky, maybe the only one you'll have, and then you'll get to raise an only child. <laughs> and then you can be a weird dad to a weird child. Best. <laughs> a weird dadism doesn't begin until the child is old enough to embarrass. Right now, you are a new dad. That is a different type of neurotic fixation. <laughs> you are afraid about everything, because you are suddenly protecting a tiny little life. Sure. Now, with regard to your one-year-old child, do you know what kind of child it is? Uh, he's a Has boy. Has the doctor told you? It's a boy. Currently. Right. right. Okay. That's right. A biological boy. Uh, congratulations on the birth of your, of your baby. How old is this child? Uh, he just turned one on New Year's oh. Day. Oh, that's wonderful. And given that we do not know your last names, are you willing to share his first name? Yeah, he's a Tobias Jr. So, Rachel, tell me about these cats. What kind of injuries are we talking about? Um, it's usually just that they have fleas or skin conditions like um, 
ringworm uh, or they're malnourished. Um, we have a lot of wild cats in our neighborhoods and the kittens will get washed out of their nests or whatever when it rains and wind Washed up. out of their nests? <laughs> that's what the vet said, that cats have nests. Apparently, that's a thing. I think I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. About my when I was in my twenties and I came home to visit, and the the cat that I had grown up with had become quite elderly, and had several teeth removed due to gum decay and stuff. And my dad said, "Call the vet and bring the cat over there." And I did. And they said, "Well, we need to remove a couple more teeth." I'm like, "A couple more teeth? Not going to be any teeth left. How is the cat going to eat?" And the veterinarian told me with a straight face, cats don't usually use their teeth when they eat. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I said to that veterinarian? You're a damn liar. <laughs> <laughs> That's why cats have teeth. <laughs> when that cat eats food, you know what I hear? Crunching. <laughs> a lot of it. To the point of it being annoying. Anyway, so, but apparently cats don't need teeth, and they also live in nests. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Vets, I guess. Yeah, they knew. You, so you're just fine. So these are not like injured cats in the road. These are in physical distress. They're, they're just scrawny, malnourished yeah. strays that you are taking in. Yeah. And then you find homes for them? Yes, we've kept one, and she's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is, what is her name? Her name is Jadis. Like the white witch from Narnia? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, when we got her, she was very angry. And we were reading the Narnia books at the time. And uh, it, it fit her real good. She tried to foist some Turkish delight on you? <laughs> she did. Yeah. She was that kind of cat. All I remember about the Chronicles of Narnia is Turkish delights. Uh, you it got that one, Jesse? Yeah, that's yeah. all that the book is about, right? There's like a <laughs> some kind of overweight kid who's obsessed with Turkish delights, and uh, uh, he follows them through a portal into an allegory of the Christ. That's the that was what was written on the back of the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to say, Tobias, this doesn't seem like a terrible situation. What are you afraid? You afraid that your young son is going to get fleas? Well, sure, fleas, but we have two cats and a dog, uh, and it's hard enough to keep fleas off of them as it is. Wait a minute. You have two cats and a dog. I thought you were describing your house as some sort of clean room paradise where you, a, where you wear <laughs> jumpsuits all the time. It's a very hairy clean room paradise, and it's difficult to keep clean as it is after adding a child. What was the last straw in Rachel's behavior that drove you to seek redress from this court? This mouse. Yeah, mouse. The mouse. Tell me about the mouse, Tobias. Well, uh, there was one day I was uh, taking a First shower. First of all, its name is Aslan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Go ahead. I was taking a shower, and I got a phone call, and uh, it was from Rachel. And usually we communicate via text because we're millennials. Uh, and so I knew this was very urgent. And she said, hey, I need help. And she had been out walking our son. And so I run downstairs, I'm in a towel, open the door. Hey, what's up? She said, hey, get the boy, get him inside. I'm like, okay. So I get him inside, get him settled. I go back out. Are you okay? What's going on? Uh, she's like, we have a new friend. And she's got uh, both hands wrapped around a mouse. 
and I'm like, okay, what do you want to do with it? She said, okay, well, can we help it? No, no, we're not going to help this mouse. We don't need to be helping a mouse. And I'm, has it bit you? No, not yet. Okay, well, why hasn't it gotten away from you? Why is it not bitten you? What's wrong with this thing that you have caught it? Oof. Can I just ask you a question? Uh-huh. A lot to react to in that story, which was rather well told. Oh, thank you. I've told you it be, several times. You may be the C.S. Lewis of our time. <laughs> <laughs> and pres- I presume the mouse is Christ in that somehow. <laughs> you were texting in the shower? Did I understand that correctly? No, no. Usually I get a text from Rachel, but because she called, I knew it was urgent. Okay, I got you. So you, so were, you were answering the phone in the shower. Answering the phone. Oh, <laughs> yes. yes. You have one of those bathroom phones, like in a fancy hotel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't be further than 10 feet away from my phone at any given time. You say or, you're millennials. How how old are you? Uh, we're 20. I'm 27. Rachel's 26. By the way, I don't like your braggy millennial tone. I'm a millennial. I'm king of the millennials. I'm the voice of the millennial generation. <laughs> I forbid you from referring to yourself as a millennial. You're not a true millennial, Jesse, if you're not willing to brag unselfconsciously about being a millennial without appreciate. <laughs> Without any appreciation of how dumb that makes you sound. No offense, Tobias. If I'm not a true millennial, then why do I have all these strong feelings about potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> the, to me, the defining trait of the, of the millennial is a complete lack of self-consciousness, self-doubt, or self-contempt. A kind of, I guess I would put it, emotional equilibrium verging on happiness <laughs> that, I, that I find offensive and very alien to me. It, w- it would be the kind of uh, selflessness that would allow you to consider taking care of a dying mouse. Rachel, where did you find the mouse? Uh, I was out walking and it was literally sitting in the middle of the sidewalk, but it was sitting up like it was alive, but it just wasn't moving. Sitting up like it was alive? Yeah, it was sitting up like in a mouse pose, but mm-hmm. it was perfectly still. Sitting up in a mouse pose. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it wasn't lying on its side? And it, no. Or it wasn't like cartoon dead with its legs in the air? Right, yeah. It was behaving regularly, except that it wasn't running away from me. And when I got closer, it looked like maybe a cat had gotten it, and one of his eyes was all caked up with blood, so I... Figured he was blind and couldn't see, so that's how I was mm-hmm. able to pick him up. And um, he seemed really thirsty and lost, and so I thought I would give him some water and then take him down to the wildlife center. But it was um, Sunday, so I figured he would need to stay with us overnight, and then we could take uh-huh. him in the morning. In what way did he seem thirsty? Was he asking you for water? It was. Uh, he had his mouth open and was breathing hard. This wildlife center, where is that? Um, it's, it's not too far. It's like a 30, 40 minute drive. Um, it's not, it's not like an actual reserve. It's a veterinary office that takes in birds and squirrels and stuff like that. And then they take them after they nurse them back to health, they take them to a refuge. That's nice. Who, who, that's very, that's a handy thing to have in your neighborhood, especially if you are picking up mice off the street. To be clear, it is not in her neighborhood. She indicated it was a 30 to 40 minute drive away. <laughs> uh, but you forget we're in Texas. Yeah, in Texas, that's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. In many ways, Jesse, Texas is like parts of rural New England. 
Have I talked about New England recently with you, Jesse? <laughs> no, not at all. You haven't mentioned it. <laughs> huh. It's funny. I have a note here on my Argo Studios notepad to mention New England at some point. Oh, thank God. I, cause I had this note that I think Jennifer gave me that said, talk about the shopping center, The Grove. <laughs> it's just issued to all comedy podcasters. So let me let me guess how this story unfolded. You put the mouse, and I guess we will codename it Aslan for the purposes of this conversation, <laughs> into a shoebox with some cotton batting in it, and you fed it some water from an eyedropper, and you waited until Monday while Tobias and Tobias Jr., held each other in fear on the other side of the room, <laughs> unable to sleep all night. I wish that morning, is how it played no, out. No, 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 now I'm C.S. Lewis again. This is my time to tell the story. <laughs> and then in the morning, you got into your car with the, with the shoebox. The mouse was still alive, still, had, still was blind in one eye. And you're like, hey, little buddy, I'm going to take you now to the wildlife center. You drove 40 minutes to the wildlife center. First thing Monday morning, ding dong, Wildlife Center employee comes up and you say, hey, I got the sick mouse. And they say, thank you. We'll take care of this. Door closes. Wildlife Center employee takes the shoebox. As you're driving away, watches you drive away, then walks immediately out to the back of the Wildlife Center, throws the mouse into the woods, and gets on with his day. (laughs) How, How accurate am I? Well, I mean, you given the stuff you didn't witness. No, what happened was that Toby came to the door and he said, uh, no, I'm not going to help you and you can't keep the mouse and you can't, I'm not going to get you a box. You can't use any of our boxes. You have to just let it go. And then um, after staring at him in disbelief for a while, he said I could release it into our backyard where it would presumably be safe from cats and birds sort of because there's bushes what are you talking about you're in a neighborhood where there are cats falling out of nests every day (laughs) i know starving cats that's what he said to do so i put it in the backyard i left a little bowl out for it and (laughs) a little over the next few days we saw him come out and have a drink and kind of scurry around on the porch and then go back into the bush and then i haven't seen him since then well, a perfect resolution. You saw him scurry around. Well, he's all blind and, like, sad. He's a mouse. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You have to understand that uh, I have a home in rural New England that had belonged to my mother that had a terrible mouse infestation. They, and I learned to not like these creatures <laughs> because as I would try to sleep... I would hear them in my walls, scratching around like it was an H.P. Lovecraft story. (laughs) (laughs) Good literary references today. I like it. Good literary references every day! Oh, okay, every day, every day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shut your pie hole, (laughs) ma'am! Well, to be fair, I should say same literary references every day. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say this. The thing about the mice in my house was that I would not see them, but they would leave reminders maliciously that they were there. And I leave it to you to judge which is more disturbing and disgusting. The mouse poop 
in my silverware drawer? <laughs> or the little piles of seeds that the mouse would cache under my bedroom pillow? No. Yeah. That's what we're dealing with here. Oh, Mice. Mice. And you know what? I, here's my decision. Everything poops. You know that lovely book, Everybody Poops? Yeah. Another great literary reference. Yeah, it's a great book. Buy that one for your kids. Again, shut Kid. your pie hole. <laughs> oh, was that my pie hole? No, her pie hole. With oh, her, her pie hole's flattery. I like, I like that. <laughs> Everybody poops. And then, so, I, you know, I can't, like, look, the mice got into the house. That's the way it went down. They got to poop somewhere. They don't know that it's my silverware drawer. But I find the hoarding of little piles of seeds under my pillow, that's, even, that's more disturbing to me. Why? Because, A, it's a very intimate space, and, B, ugh, a little pile of seeds. It's just weird, mouse. It's <laughs> being weird now. <laughs> You don't need to pot. Where are you getting the seeds? I got, <laughs> got open packages of gummy bears in the cupboard. Go at it. Don't pile up a bunch of seeds like a hoarder. <laughs> Would you prefer if it were saving people food under your pillow? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. like dried fruit. Yeah, some dried apricots. Hostess what if I found cakes. like a, a, ha- a, little, a little miniature ham sandwich it had made under my pillow? <laughs> <laughs> I could get with that. Well, but it sounds like this is resolved unless what happened after you denied the mouse access to your home to buy us? Was there some cleaning? Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. Well, while she was saying goodbye, uh, I took it upon myself to bleach wipe my hands, child. The, the door, the, the walker, the child, everything. Everything got bleached. And uh, after she let go of the mouse, uh, I bleached her as well. Why? What were you afraid of with this mouse? Rabies, of course. Mm. 100% rabies every time. That's what you're afraid of all the time with all these anim- animals? Any animal. Any animal could have rabies. You never know which ones, especially the ones that are easy to catch, I would assume. Like, what's wrong with this mouse that you were able to catch it? Why do you mm-hmm. have it? Maybe mm-hmm. it's just Generation mm-hmm. X, and it's so self-conscious, it's just bummed out, doesn't care anymore. <laughs> it's lazy. Yeah. It's a you can't get a job because the boomers are, won't, won't retire. Boomer mice. <laughs> it just wants to use its dad's gas station credit card. <laughs> so talk to me about rabies. Do you have any evidence that any of these cats or dogs or mouse had, had rabies? I, I hear what you're saying about the the easy to catch, but... You know, if you listen to this podcast, that's often a sign of toxoplasmosis. Sure. Uh, yeah, with, which with all the cats in the area, it could absolutely have toxoplasmosis. I feel like you guys are living in a toxoplasmosis hot zone. <laughs> and you submitted some evidence as well with regard to rabies. Do you want to tell me about the evidence? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so if we care about uh, rabies at all, then we're going to want to test whether we have rabies if we got bit. So the way to test that is to take the animal to a veterinarian who will euthanize it and then pull out brain tissue to see whether it had rabies or not, to see whether you need to get a rabies shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you care about the animal, you should not allow it 
to bite you or get anywhere close enough to where it can give you rabies because otherwise you're going to end up killing the animal anyway. Right. So uh, did you have evidence that any of these cats might have had rabies? Jadis is still in your house or Jadis? Sure. Well, we uh, whenever we take in one of the larger animals, like a dog or a cat, uh, if we're going to be with them for a while, we, of course, get them shots and tested um, uh, for different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fast way to test for rabies is to cut the head off and, and check the brain tissue. I'm, I'm assuming that uh, there are other ways to test for it. That's, yeah. That usually has some adverse effects for the animal, though. Right. I usually yeah. just stick my finger in the mouth and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not, not an expert on rabies, but the symptoms of rabies, aside from foaming in the mouth and unusual aggression, do you have any other research to present to this court for me to consider whether or not your fear is rational or irrational? To, to be able to recognize rabies? Yeah. No. Okay. You're just a feared of rabies. I'm a feared of rabies. Have been from way back. Well, how come? Did you have a traumatic experience? Uh, I remember when I was little, uh, the bird flu epidemic was going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we there were birds, just dead birds everywhere uh, in Arlington, not too far from here. And I was always told, you know, don't pick it up, don't touch it. If a bird walks up to you, run away from it because there's something wrong with it. You could get bird flu. I would say that if a bird walks up to me, I would be feel a little nervous because I'd be like, dude, you got wings. Why are you walking? Why, Why are you making this weird choice? <laughs> so how old were you when, when you lived in a community of dead birds? Uh, that was uh, kindergarten, first grade. Wow. That, yeah. Like when you said there were dead birds everywhere. I used to walk to school and I would see uh, two or three new ones every day. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Through some sort of avian abattoir. <laughs> we should explain that you grew up on a turkey farm. <laughs> now, where in Texas do you live exactly? Do you live in in toxoplasmatic uh, hot zone or in in bird plagueville? <laughs> it's where we sacrifice all the birds to our cat overlords. And right, and so you probably aren't too comfortable with taking in wounded birds either. Uh yes, absolutely. Okay. So, Rachel, are there any animals that you would not take in? Like, do you draw the line anywhere? I obviously would have driv- drawn the line at a mouse. Sure. Um, a I snake. probably wouldn't. No, no, I wouldn't probably get a snake or like a skunk. I probably wouldn't. I might help a skunk, but not like into the house. How would you? How do you differentiate between animals that are that are worth extreme measures and junk animals that you wouldn't even give the time of day to? <laughs> Well, like, a snake could bite me, and that would be really scary. And a skunk would has its own, like, problematic things that skunks yeah. do. Yeah. I'm sure you know all about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they get you on the phone. They won't let you hang up, for example. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quarter badger, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to be, be a little bit more skunk racist on my podcast? <laughs> They're my cousins. I would help a badger. You would not help a badger. Are you kidding me? I've never actually seen a badger. Yeah. Also, for the record, this was the first time I ever saw a mouse either. This is the first time you ever saw a mouse? What? Yeah, I've never seen a mouse before. What? Like, I've seen rats. 
I've never seen a cute little mouse. You really thought this mouse was cute, didn't you? It was, yeah. But also just keep in mind, like, this is the first mouse I had ever seen in my life. It's adorable. I question this premise. How is that the first mouse you've ever seen in your life? We have a lot of rats. I've seen rats around before. I've seen, like, uh, like a white mouse at the pet store. But yeah, this is that's like a, a type of mouse. That's a perfect example of a mouse you've seen. Okay, so I've seen the white mice before, but I've never seen, like, a wild mouse Now, you've sent in some evidence as well. Yes. And mostly your evidence consists of cute internet cat pictures. Yes. You have a picture of Pepe the cat, whom you rescued, and now lives with your mother-in-law. Yes. Pepe, very cute. Here's a picture of uh, Jadis, whom you rescued, who is now sleeping... uh, (laughs) who is now stationed very close... To your infant son. Yeah, she loves him a lot. Jadis is clearly contemplating stealing his breath. <laughs> <laughs> and this is not a cute cat picture, but a cute bird picture. Now, that one's very interesting because Toby just said that he wouldn't take in birds, but that was a bird that he found while we were dating. Oh. Uh, you changed your tune. How come you rescued a bird when you were dating, Toby? Were you trying to impress her? Absolutely. Uh, Rachel's mother is very all about uh, saving animals, and uh, Rachel was very cute, uh, and I was all about impressing her. Plus, this was a mockingbird, which mm-hmm. is the state bird of Texas, and I felt I had an obligation oh, as a native Texan geez. to take care mm-hmm. of our state bird. <laughs> is that <laughs> somewhere in the Texas citizenship vow? Uh, well, considering you've never taken it, I would say yes. Okay, fine. Well, then that's why I'm always bringing home grizzly bears. <laughs> you know, state bird of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is a chickadee. If I see a sick chickadee on the road, you know what I do? What's that? Just keep walking. <laughs> uh, this is a magnificent looking bird. And I'm presuming that this is Rachel in the photograph with this magnificent looking bird. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were clearly just trying to woo her and impress her mom. For sure. Plus, we had just found the, uh, the animal sanctuary, the bird sanctuary, that we were, where we were going to take the mouse. It's specifically a bird sanctuary. Wait, it's a bird sanctuary? You're, we were going to take the mouse to a bird sanctuary? <laughs> Wildlife refuge. Yeah. Let me ask you a Toby. question. What do birds eat? <laughs> this bird ate like bugs. A little yeah. bird. They would take that mouse and they would say, hey, guess what, owls? You're going to get better. <laughs> they got two horned owls in there that haven't eaten well in months. They're going to eat Aslan right up. <laughs> and expel his bones in a little pellet. Owls are crazy. All right, but now, you ha- now you're married. Basically, let me understand this. Now you're married. You don't need to impress... Rachel or your mother anymore. You had a son that you're trying to protect from rabies, and you would have me order that she, Rachel, never take another animal in again. Is that correct? I Taking care of animals is something that Rachel also really likes to do, and I, I would never forbid her from doing it ever again. Uh, but I would ask that the court order uh, a moratorium until our son... Uh, has the wits about him to know that she's making a terrible decision and can protect himself. 
uh, from these animals. From a mockingbird and a mouse? All right. I understand what you're asking. Rachel, quick question. Where does your mom live? Uh, she lives nearby, uh, about a 15-minute drive. Well, it's a lot closer than the wildlife sanctuary. Yes, it is. <laughs> what would you have me order if I were to find in your favor? I would have you order that as long as I'm not keeping this animal long term, that Toby should just suck it up and deal with it for the one or two days that we're taking care of an animal. All right. I'm going to crawl into the little burrow that I made in honor of my mother's heritage. I'm going to look over my notes here, and I'll be back in a moment with my verdict. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Rachel, how are you feeling about your chances in the case? I feel really good about it. What's the biggest animal you would be willing to bring home? Uh, If it would let me near it, just about anything. Big animals can run a lot faster if they don't want to be with me. So like a wildebeest? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if it needed help, sure. I probably wouldn't bring it home. I'd probably try to find a more open area. (laughs) I don't think it would fit in the house if it was a wildebeest. Well, I mean, you know, you might have to knock out a door frame. (laughs) (laughs) Tobias, how are you feeling about your chances? There's several things I wish I had the opportunity to say, but uh, the judge is very wise. Uh, I always trust his judgments. You know, I am sick of both of your weird streams of flattery. Shut your pie holes. We'll be back in just a second with Judge John Hodgman's ruling. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun. Dot org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024. 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University Yale University and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. 
It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom. You may be seated. Rachel, I am glad to know you, and I am glad to know Tobias, and I am glad that Tobias Jr. is a, a healthy, young, gender-assigned-at-birth boy. I wish you all the happiness in the world, and I'm especially glad that he's healthy because... There is no doubt in my mind that you got that toxoplasmosis in you. <laughs> <laughs> you plasmin. <laughs> toxoplasmosis gets into a mouse. It makes it less likely to run away so that a cat will eat it. And then it gets into the cat and then it reproduces and its spores go out through the cat's poop. And then mice go wandering around cat poop and they get it. And that's the life cycle of toxoplasmosis. And it can get into humans, too, if you change that litter box. And then there is some, I think at this point, unproven suggestion that it affects the behavior of, of people who, are, who, who have it in their brains. <laughs> such that they want to have cats around them. <laughs> you got it so bad that not only do you want to have cats around you, but you're going for mice now, too. <laughs> <laughs> the real worry, of course, is, and I, this has come up on the podcast before, is that if, if you get infected with toxoplasmosis while you are pregnant, it can cause uh, bad stuff to happen to your baby. Yes. That's why pregnant women are not supposed to be changing litter boxes, or at least that's what my pregnant wife told me when I had to do it. So... Uh, whether or not these animals have rabies, the evidence that was presented to this court that uh, Tobias did not have a chance to mention, but I reviewed, uh, that is a recommendation of the CDC and, and most veterinarians that if you find a wounded animal in the world, that you, uh, that you leave it alone. Now, these cats you're taking in are not wounded, but they are stray. They are feral. And they may have rabies, I suppose, and it might be too late before you know it. And they may have all kinds of other issues and stuff. I don't want these cats to suffer any more than you do. But I, I gotta say, even though I think that Tobias is primarily acting out of his own psychic trauma of walking to school and seeing dead birds everywhere and believing that the natural world exists to poison him, <laughs> it's not untrue. 
It's not untrue that have that taking in taking in a, a creature, even if it is a a spayed, neutered, shot given rescue cat that's been checked out up down downtown and all around town by a good rescue organization has a clean bill of health, you're still bringing in an unpredictable creature into your house. I bet you're going to find Jada sitting on Tobias Jr.'s head someday. <laughs> Cats don't like babies. It's true. <laughs> it's a reason they don't like them. In any case, your husband is a little neurotic on this subject, but I do think that there are ways to continue your interest in helping out the natural world that do not involve bringing them directly into your house. And out of respect for your husband's neurosis and your son's health, simply carry out your hobby elsewhere. Anytime you find something dead or dying, take it to your mom's house. <laughs> leave, it, leave it outside of her front door. Like like a cat does with its prey. <laughs> your mom your mom already raised healthy children. She can she can handle all the rabies and toxoplasmosis she can take. And or drive forty minutes and go and volunteer at that wildlife refuge place. Then you can get a sense of from them, like these okay, here's the thing. Rachel, if someone brings in a golden eagle with a bad wing, we're going to take care of that. If it's a mockingbird, well, that's the state bird of Texas. We have, we're legally obligated <laughs> to bring that thing back to life, even if it's dead. Yes, we have technology <laughs> to resurrect mockingbirds. Otherwise, we become Oklahomans. <laughs> yeah. The one state grant for technology in the past 25 years was the mockingbird resurrection device. <laughs> but Rachel, let me tell you something. As long as you're volunteering here, you need to know. If someone brings in a sick mouse, just say thank you very much, walk it out back, and, th and th throw it to the owls. <laughs> Let's face it, regardless of, of diseases, and I'm sure I'll get a lot of emails talking about how wrong I am about X, Y, and Z, rabies and toxoplasmosis or whatever. Let me remind you, I was chased by and bitten by a pack of dogs. I don't need your advice <laughs> on rabies. Got it. I got a shot. Uh, but... Even the healthy animals, the three healthy animals, the two cats and a dog you have, now with this baby, you have enough going on in your house. And frankly, you are handling enough feces in your house at this point. <laughs> you do not need any extra distractions. Respect your husband's fear of dead and dying things. Take your hobby outside of the house. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm almost like advising you to have an affair. You can continue... <laughs> You can continue. Just don't bring it home with you. This is the sound of a gavel. Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Rachel, how are you feeling? I feel okay. I feel like I can accept that and I can uh, be loving towards my husband in that way by not bringing animals home anymore, but that I will definitely still bring them to my mom's house. Does your mom have French doors for when you find that wildebeest? She actually does. She does. Yeah. So you're all set. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> Maybe it would be a longhorn. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would be a longhorn. And then we'd be legally obligated to take care of it. Tobias, how do you feel in your triumph? I feel like my father-in-law may never speak to me again. <laughs> we were just getting along so well. 
He signed up for all this a long time ago. (laughs) His die has been cast. (laughs) Well, Tobias, Rachel, thank you for joining us on the Judge Sean Hodgman podcast. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Judge Hodgman, come out the back door. I want to show you something. Okay, let me get out of my little burrow here. What do you got? Well, as you can hear by that sound that was definitely not laid in afterwards by our producer, Jennifer, it's a longhorn cow. Bull. Bull. The bulls have horns. The cows don't have horns. It's very sickly looking. I really don't want you to bring this into our courtroom, Jesse. No, Jesse, come on. Hook them horns. I guess I'm going to get that longhorn toxoplasmosis now. (laughs) I was just looking in in my burrow as, as... you guys were wrapping it up there. I was looking at uh, pictures of badgers, which is something I've never searched up before. And I found this beautiful picture of a badger running at, like, running so fast it is above the ground. It is a galloping badger. I have never seen a badger look so active. Oh, I see the picture. Look at that badger. Wow. This is like why they invented photography. It's so that you could tell that when a badger runs, all four of its legs lift off the ground. The, the photo is from a, from, it turns out, from a website called animal-dream.com. It tells you what you're dreaming about when you dream about a badger, which was yeah. a great Raymond Carver story. The headline on Google Images just says, dream of badger. So we'll definitely post that dream of badger photo on MaximumFun.org, the Judge John Hodgson page on the show notes. But what do we have coming up? Well, we have Max FunCon coming up. Uh, tickets are on sale for Max FunCon in Southern California right now. That's uh, in June. And then Labor Day weekend, there's the East Coast Max FunCon. Judge Hodgman, how would you describe what Max FunCon is? Well, it is a coming together of listeners and Max Fun talent. And also just really talented comedians and musicians and other sorts of people in a beautiful environment, uh, one of them being on the West Coast around Lake Arrowhead, 
which is an amazing man-made lake way up in the mountains, not far from the Scientology base where they think Shelley Miscavige is being kept prisoner, but that's just a side <laughs> benefit for me. <laughs> they also have tennis courts and pools and campfires at night where everyone meets and tells stories. And in the Poconos, the beautiful Poconos Mountains of the New York and Pennsylvania region, uh, in, a, in a great big old haunted hotel where everyone gets together and um, and it's a small group of, of people who enjoy the, uh, great podcasts. And I, you know, it's been a part of my yearly life for the past. Well, what which Max Funcon West is this? What number is it? Nine, yeah. I think. It's almost a decade. It's been a part of my life and, and one of my favorite weekends of, of the year because I just get to see old friends and new. And never a time have I gone to Max Funcon when I didn't come back having um, seen incredible uh, performances and met incredible people, both of uh, performers and, um, and, and non-performers, just listeners. You know, ever, as the beauty of this show is that we meet uh, virtually people from all over the world who are really interesting and fun and delightful. And, and that's what happens at MaxFunCon in real time, in real life, face-to-face. Tickets for that are on sale at MaxFunCon.com. We've got our show in Chicago coming up. That's February 11th at Talia Hall. Uh, That's going to be an extravaganza. Advanced tickets are now officially sold out, but we will have tickets at the door. So uh, it will start at noon. So get in line if you didn't get your tickets, goofballs. And you're doing something with our pal John Darnell from the Mountain Goats. Yeah, that's right. You know, he's got a new novel coming out, uh, which I've read, uh, an advanced copy of. I'm, 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 I'm lucky that way, called Universal Harvester. Uh, edited by the great Sean McDonald at Farrar Strauss Giroux. And I'm doing a publication event with him at Symphony Space on the Upper West Side of Manhattan on February 7th. Um, all the details are on my website at johnhodgman.com slash tour. And any other things that I've forgotten to announce, the details are there as well. I love that John Darnell. I loved his last book. Wolf in White Van. Yeah, it's a, it's a little disquieting, but also very comforting. Not unlike John Darnell. Not unlike John Darnell. Our producer on the program, Jennifer Marmer. Thanks to Jennifer. Our thanks to Jessica White for naming this week's show. Be sure to like Judge John Hodgman on Facebook so that you can name a future episode. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jesse Thorne, and Hodgman is at Hodgman. There's also been a lot of action lately in the Maximum Fun group on Facebook. Those groups are fun. Yeah, you know, I ought to spend more time in the groups. But I'm spending most of my time reading your wonderful emails, which you can email to me at hodgman at maximumfun.org or submit your cases at maximumfun.org slash jjho. I read them all. I respond to as many as I can. And if you don't hear from me, it might be because we're considering your case for hearing on the podcast or on the Judge John Hodgman columnet in the New York Times magazine. This week's episode was engineered by Bruce Faulkner at Cake Mix Recording in Dallas, Texas, home of the Mockingbirds, and here in New York by Paul Ruest at Argo Studios in New York City. And uh, you already mentioned our producer, Jennifer Marmer. I think those are the credits. Yeah. Hashtag at JJ Ho on Twitter and go to MaximumFun.org slash JJ Ho to submit your cases. No case too big or small. We judge them all. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Hey, hey, mock, mock, ing, ing, bird, bird, text us. That's my new sign-off. Goodbye.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.